luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech. We are technologists and we share an awesome responsibility. The next three decades will hold even more progress, coming more quickly than ever before. A new age of miracles is literally just around the corner. Your hosts are Mark Schaefer and Douglas Carr. Hey everyone, this is Mark Schaefer. Welcome to another episode of Luminaries. I'm here with my co-host, Doug Carr. How you doing, man? Fantastic. You know, something about this episode, I want to cue the song Money by Pink Floyd. <laughs> dun, 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 oh, no, dun, you're going to get us dun, in trouble. Dun, dun. I know, that's why I can't do it. <laughs> I think it's gonna, it would cost too much. But this show is all about money and technology. And upon reflection, money is like one of my favorite things. Is that weird? Is it weird to say that? Yeah, it might be a little bit. No, well, we're going to meet today <laughs> Dan Chesterman. He's actually sitting here being patient. He's the CIO of the Australian Securities and Exchange, one of the world's leading financial markets. As the first major financial market to open every day, ASX is a world leader in raising capital and consistently ranks among the top five exchanges globally. It has a total marketing capitalization of about $1.5 trillion. That's a trillion with a D. Dan is the CIO of this organization. Welcome, Dan, to yep. Luminaries. Thank you very much for having me. Now, one of the themes of, of this show over the last couple of years is, is security. And that's got to be a big issue uh, for you. Being responsible for keeping an exchange like this safe, secure, and efficient seems like that would be a significant burden on the organization. So tell us a little bit about the scope of your organization. How are you organized to, to protect the, the exchange? Yeah, sure. I mean, maybe one thing I would just do is I, I think of it not as a burden, but as a really important purpose. Yeah. And that's oh, a, a that's quite great. a big mm-hmm. you know, difference for, for the team. We've got a a very relatively small team in, in, in the context of large organizations. There's roughly 700 people total in the exchange, around 240 in technology. So it's not a big team, but it's a very committed team that if you look at the employee engagement surveys, reports a very high level in terms of people who are proud to work there. So I think people at the exchange understand that security, trust, integrity, resilience, these are all the things that we're valued for. So it kind of begins and ends with security in some respects. Have you, have you had good stability on your team? Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a lot of people who've been there for uh, quite a long time and they've involved in creating some of the applications that run critical infrastructure. So mm-hmm. no, there's a lot of uh, good stability. We've got a new influx of people in the last year or so because really the exchange has been at around 550 people for about 10 years and we've grown quite substantially in the last year and a half. And that's really on the back of understanding and recognizing that we actually need to modernize some of our infrastructure to stay ahead of the game to stay in the position which our market and our customers require us to be in. Specifically for your organization, is that requiring new skill sets at all or, or is it just an iteration of sort of what you had? It is um, it is new skill sets. I mean, you know, technology continues to evolve. I think, you know, all of us know that 15 years ago we didn't talk about data scientists or data ethicists or data stewards and, and those are new skills that we need to bring into the organization. We're doing work with um, blockchain and distributed ledger technology. Those are new skills. Interestingly though, what I've certainly found is that there are people within our organization who can absolutely be trained and developed into those new skills. It doesn't mean you necessarily always have to hire from outside but there are there is a re you know reimagining of all the skills that you need to have within a technology organization definitely 
The uh, the exchange is described as a vertically aligned market. Can you share what that means with our listeners? So yeah, a, a vertically integrated exchange really means that we do everything from listing. Uh, we're a listing venue for 2,300 companies in Australia, trading um, with a primary trading exchange in, in Australia, clearing and settlement um, wow. across both equities and also debt, cash debt, and then options and derivatives. So in a lot of other markets, those roles are taken up by a, lo- a lot of different participants, um, whereas in in Australia, the, the the market has remained with really a vertically integrated and horizontally um, diverse exchange. Awesome. Now, reading your uh, bio and some of the things that you've been um, interested in, you certainly seem to have a special interest in blockchain. Yeah. And one of the things I read recently was that in the quarterly earnings report a year ago, I think the number was... 80 out of the Fortune 100 cop companies mentioned blockchain in their earnings uh, discussion. And I think uh, last year it was eight. Mm. So is that an indicator that, that blockchain is maybe somewhere on the down cycle of the hype cycle? Uh, or is it just starting to become part of everyday business? So what's your take on on where we are with blockchain and the adoption, the widespread adoption of blockchain? Sure. There's a, a couple of different questions involved in that. So maybe the first one around, I think it's, as a term, it's been uh, quite overused and ill-defined for mm. a long period of time. And maybe where there was that peak of you know companies reporting it, it might have been in that era when Bitcoin was on its way up oh, and people were asserting Bitcoin with blockchain and and therefore good news and, and potentially using it in, in, in areas where it might not necessarily be used. There's a, a relatively famous case of, a, of a, a company that changed its name to include blockchain in the title and the share price went up substantially but, on that day, despite it having no contracts or yeah. you know background. So there Welcome certainly was... Welcome to the Luminaries Blockchain <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> there, there was a period uh, you know, where exactly that, where the ratings just went up. But the, uh, <laughs> there was a period where I think that that, that hype was probably un, un, you know. Well, unworthy, normal. you know, yeah, normal. Everybody wants to get on board, and but the the reality is, and we see it. We use often the term de- distributed ledger technology deliberately yeah. to try and distinguish ourselves. We're not doing cryptocurrency. We're not doing a Bitcoin blockchain. In fact, we're doing a private permission network that will help make clearing and settlement and financial markets in Australia safer, more transparent, um, but also preserve privacy and confidentiality, which you know sometimes can be in conflict with transparency. Um, I, I would say. It is actually also though a technology that's naturally going to take a while for adoption to actually be, uh, you know, widespread. And primarily because if you're one organization trying to introduce, uh, a, you know, a blockchain or a DLT solution, what network are you connecting to, and who's going to join your network if you're a dominant provider? Uh, you know, there's a lot of actually non-technical questions which get raised, which I think so make it not hard. Like a universal network, right? Now. No, there's not. Yeah. Right, there's not a universal standard. But e- or equally, if one participant within a within a natural network tries to introduce a a blockchain, and that might be in you know in any in context, it's very hard for other participants in that network to see why they would join one person's you know network. Whereas I think. What we're trying to do is actually we're addressing a known network where, which already has 130 participants tied into it for clearing and settlement. And we already have chess you know, gateways in their environment. So mm-hmm. adoption is less of a challenge where you actually have an existing network mm-hmm. would be the way I'd see it. And so I think distributed ledger technology will take, I think, a longer time for adoption. It's not like a, a technology you can implement by yourself. It's almost like learning the bass guitar. It's good if you're in a band, but if you're not in a band, you might, you might find you want to <laughs> pick up a different instrument. So are your are your partners going forward have, have they been fairly receptive to that idea? I think there's um 
there's definitely benefits that are clear in some context, um, but any change comes with it with some challenges as well. We, we, I would say this project is in part building an application, in part building a, a network and a, and a ledger technology, and in a significant part, it's a change management exercise for a whole industry, and and that you know comes with it with its with its challenges, but also with its opportunities. Um, what we're concentrating on at the moment is. Just this week, actually, we've announced the um, opening of a customer development environment, which will be actually a DLT environment that customers can connect to to start to use the technology to understand how it could actually lead to benefits within their own environment. Mm. And this isn't a business case that can be written within one organization. It actually requires investments to be made by multiple participants within a network. Mm. So it's, it is a, it, it is definitely a, a long change management journey. And we, we've been at it now for three and a half years, and we've still got another couple of years to go before we get to even live. And I would say a lot of the benefits will come after the go-live date. So it is. It, you need to be committed for the long haul. I like that. You've created a blockchain sandbox. Exactly right. Yeah. And, it's, and, and you know, there are blockchain as a service uh, or, you know, blockchain on, on, you know, as a service technologies available right now. Not all of them are connected to that many participants. Not all of them are connected to that sort of assets that you talked about before, the $1.7 trillion of Australian dollars of assets that are actually in the, in the chess um, environment. So I think what we have announced and, and are creating is, you know, quite important, and it's it is being watched by the exchange community globally, and I think other financial services in general. Um, but you know, I'm 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 quite sure that we're on a good path that will actually give benefits back to ultimately the issuers and investors, and those are the people who are at the end of the value chain that we're part of, who really do need to see value out of this. And and let's talk about that value for so fast forward, let's say five years, where um, the adoption is going from sandbox to kind of yep. you know throughout the exchange. Uh, what is what is the value to an investor of having a distributed ledger? So primarily, it's around the fact that today, if a, a, there's one share transaction, you know, I sell my shares to you, for example, there will be an echo of that transaction in multiple different back office systems, stored in a different database, stored in a different data model, and without really the opportunity for there to be multi-party workflows built on top of that. So immediately, by having a single fabric with a harmonized data model available in near real time but with privacy and confidentiality secured, you can do away with some of the reconciliation activities that everyone's doing at the moment uh-huh. to check that is your version the same as what I think your version is. Um, so that's one sort of level of benefit. There's a second which I think comes after that, which is that with a deterministic um, application you know, model on top of that, that that allows you to build multi-party workflows, you can actually start to see how things like proxy voting or corporate actions or potentially even rights issues could be handled in a much more efficient way than today. Now, it's important to state the ASX is not trying to compete with the participants that or people who use our um, you know network at the moment. We're trying to create an environment where those workflows can be executed more reliably, more predictably, more transparently, and still safely. Um, and and really, what we're trying to do is make Australia's capital markets, financial markets, the best in the world. And you know that seems like a noble goal. Yeah. I know there are uh, concerns, obviously, about the computing power necessary uh, to incorporate distributed ledgers. Um, what advancements have been made on that front to help mitigate? Mm. I mean, so well, I, again, I suppose answering a couple of different ways. There are still obviously advancements happening, which are making blockchains and distributed ledger technologies more efficient, and and some of that we will take advantage of. But one big fundamental change that we have in our architecture is that we don't require a distributed trust mechanism operating in multiple different environments, which is often what causes that large drain on energy and um, from some of the public Bitcoin or you know Ethereum right. blockchain. So realistically, the architecture that you choose uh, is, is going to be one which influences how much 
you know, the energy drain or the energy consumption actually will be. In the first instance, we're going to be offering nodes as a managed service within our environment, within our data center, and uh, and and there won't be distributed consensus, which means the computational load is significantly lower. Incredible, yeah. I I never even knew that that was an option. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, it's a it's it's a trade off. It's something you couldn't do in every use case. Right. So there are there are use cases where distributed consensus would be required. It's just not. We weren't trying to set off to solve a trust problem. We are actually the clearing participant for every right. trade. So we are actually becoming the buyer for every seller and the seller for every buyer. So. There's, we're not trying to solve a trust problem. We were trying to solve a problem of data synchronicity and transparency while retaining privacy and confidentiality. And that's wow. a, a different problem. Yeah. So I imagine uh, in this exchange, which it really depends on discretion and speed of transaction and security, that mm. cybersecurity must be a big deal for you. And it, it sounds like blockchain's at least part of the answer. But can you talk about... Uh, the, your emphasis on security for the exchange. What yeah. are some of your strategies with cybersecurity? So it's a, it's a good point, and, and I would say that blockchain, while an important part, isn't at all the you know the cybersecurity strategy of the exchange. We've got a much broader and yeah, more to, holistic. Yeah. And in fact, even when you deploy a DLT or um, solution, you still have to think about all of the same sorts of things like you know endpoints and protection and firewalls and and you know PKI and HSMs and all of the sort of usual, the usual uh, activities. What I would say is, you know, maybe coming back to that original purpose that we spoke about, cyber and trust and integrity and resilience are all central to our value proposition. Uh, so we've got a, a, a small but really, really effective cybersecurity team that really I think punches above its weight in terms of its scale for protecting the the, the important assets that we're responsible for. Um, it's also a whole of organisation issue. So we regularly run phishing tests and, you know, playbook exercises and scenarios to really understand what what are the potential risks, not just from, you know, your expected sources, but unexpected sources, uh, internal or, 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 or external. Uh, and, you know, cyber is one of the areas that the, you know, the board and the executive committee, you know, would never seek to deprioritize, if that makes sense. So really, we set our agenda based on what we can actually execute on. Uh, and the cyber team has, you know, grown substantially and we see it being a critical, a critical enabler for our, for our organization. I've read, uh, uh, when we were doing the research, uh, about the exchange, uh, that you've made it your mission to be sustainable and responsible. Mm. Can you talk about some of the initiatives that the exchange has underway? Yeah, sure. So we, obviously we're not a primary producer or a massive uh, organization with a significant environmental footprint, but we do measure and um, manage the, the, the consumption, the energy consumption at, at our two data centers and our corporate office. We use recyclable consumables and items like that. So we've taken those steps in, in terms of our own internal uh, footprint. Um, one thing worth noting, I suppose, is we also convene a group which is actually represented, uh, has representatives on it from all of the big industry associations in Australia, like the Investor Relations Association or stockbrokers, the um, custodians, the CI, the top 100 companies, Property Council of Australia, amongst many others. And that group releases a, a corporate governance principles, um, which that, that all of the listed companies in, on our market report against on a, oh, wow. you know, do they comply, benchmark against, you yeah. know, do they comply with that principle? And if not, why not? So it's not obligatory, but it's if not, why not? And in this re latest release, which was just um, released in February, uh, for the first time, there is actually an expectation that listed companies will report on all of their major risks, including environmental risks or climate change. And if they have 
those risks, what are they doing about them? And so on an if not, why not basis, I think that's an important one that's shifting a whole market towards being more transparent about their activities. And, and their accountable. Yeah. 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 yeah, we see that tr- that trend coming in America too. Yeah. Definitely. New expectations of what it means to, to be in business. Correct. Yeah. I would, I would uh, sort of emphasize that, you know, it's just to the point that that isn't actually something that the ASX has as a, as a, as a rule. It's that the corporate governance principles put together by Australia's industry associations right. has come up with that as a recommendation. Which is great. Which is That's great. proactive, yeah. 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 Dan, when we were doing the research for the show, Mark and I were talking, and one of the things that I had mentioned was uh, your, your optimism for blockchain is incredible. And now your explanation of distributed ledger, you know, really starts to kind of paint that picture. Um, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, what direction you guys are going and why, and why you're optimistic. Sure. I'm maybe... Um, one thing worth noting is I suppose blockchain as a term maybe has been overused. And one thing we've sort of recognized as, as, as we've been at this for a few years is that um, we we entered this whole problem space maybe from a different position, not necessarily seeking to use a technology and find a problem, but actually with a real use case in mind. Uh, we have Chess, which has been a, a solution which has been in place since around 1994. It's COBOL, it's on Itanium servers, it's performed very, very well but it's increasingly hard to maintain and there are some inherent architectural limitations because it's a message-based architecture with proprietary messages built specifically for Australia. Um, so we had a use case. We, we knew we needed to modernise this this solution. It was at the time peak, peak blockchain hype, I'd suggest. So right. the, the board and the organisation made, I think, a very sensible decision to, if you're only going to change a solution once in a generation, you should absolutely understand whether the technology could be used to you know, actually help make the, the environment better. Um, but the other big difference that we had is that we had an existing network of customers who connect to chess. Um, whereas I think, you know, uh, some proof of concepts, I wonder, you know, who is the network that this is meant to address, you know, and how are you going to drive adoption and how are you going to make sure that that whole group feels like they're part of the process of defining the requirements and, you know, building this. Whereas implementing network-based solutions is something that the ASX has been doing all of its life. Right. You know, we, we each project that we do is essentially a change management exercise with the whole industry. Um, so I think those three big differences, one, we had a real use case. Two, we had a customer base and we knew that we could help potentially solve some of their, their problems. And three, we have in our DNA the ability uh, actually to execute on an industry-wide change. And so that's why I probably am optimistic, not necessarily about all blockchain initiatives, right. but that what we're trying to do is a meaningful use case with a sensible application of technology, which we've satisfied ourselves, can meet our non-functional requirements, which remain you know, very high for obvious reasons. We've had the opportunity to interview so many interesting thought leaders on this program. And one of the things that always fascinates me is how someone like you, who's really at the epicenter of this hurricane of change, mm-hmm keeps up with what's going on. Uh, what's your personal strategy to stay on top of what's going on and stay relevant and really superior in your industry? It's a, it's an excellent question because I think there are so many, there's so much information out there. And if you were just keeping up to date, that could take up your whole, your whole yeah. day. I do find that, you know, subscribing to a number of different types of, you know, alerts and bulletin boards, you know, helps me. I do use podcasts. Um, I think they're a great source, particularly when you've got sort of idle time in the car, you can, you can catch up on a lot. Um, I use, I, you know, use all the tools like LinkedIn, um, you know, the Factiva or a bunch of news, news and alert services. Um, but I think there's no replacement for conversations. 
uh, and really the network that you have and the the, the connections you make at, mm. at at events like like this, um, you know, where you actually get to meet practitioners who are you know have scars on their back and are doing real work. That's that's where I think you make a lot of the the really valuable learnings. Well, I'm making a big assumption here. I mean, what would be your second favorite podcast? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It's not a not a business one. I'd have to say I listen to The Moth a lot because um, yeah. I just think there's something um, beautiful about storytelling. That's a um, very popular one. It's, it, it is. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you heard it here, folks. So thank you so much, Dan. It's been so enlightening and interesting and inspiring talking to you today. We sure appreciate having you on the program. Thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And for everyone, we appreciate you every every day. Thank you so much for listening, for your nice comments, for your reviews. This is Mark Schaefer and Doug Carr signing off. We'll see you next time on Luminaries, where we talk to the brightest minds in tech. Luminaries, talking to the brightest minds in tech, a podcast series from Dell Technologies. <laughs>